it's good to see you all here. Um, my name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders here. There's a few faces I don't recognise, so um, let me have my welcome. It's really good to see you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about communion. Uh, it's part of our devoted series, so we've been looking at um, you know Acts two, where um, it says that the the church, the embryonic church, after the um, after they received the Spirit after Pentecost. Um, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And a few weeks ago, Paul spoke about being devoted to one another, devoted to fellowship. Uh, Rob spoke to being devoted to the word, to teaching. Um, and today we're looking at being devoted to the breaking of bread. And there we have uh, Leonardo da Vinci's famous uh, painting of the Last Supper. Um, you know, two, two things that Jesus commanded us to do. One was to get baptised and one uh, was to um, break bread in remembrance of him. And as a leadership team, it's something that we've been talking about, actually. How do we do communion? Do we just do it the way we've always done it? Are there better ways for us to do it that, that, that better reflect actually what scripture tells us? It's a conversation we've, we've been having. And what we're going to do is after I finish talking, we're going to go back into a short time of worship and we're going to break bread together. We're going to have a time of communion. Um, I'm sure we've all had different experiences of breaking bread. Um, we're, I'm sure we've all come from different backgrounds. Some of you might call it the Lord's Supper. Um, uh, as it's called in the Bible sometimes, sometimes it's called communion from the Greek koinonia, about fellowship, partnership, participation together. Some of you might have called it the Eucharist. Anyone call it the Eucharist, which is uh, from the Greek for Thanksgiving. You know, Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks. Or Mass, if you're from a Catholic um, uh, Catholic tradition where Jesus, uh, uh, where the priests dismiss the people. And um, they send them out on mission. They dismiss them to mission. And they have, they, 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 they have Mass, which is uh, the breaking of bread in their context. We don't, I've, I, I, the Bible sometimes calls it love feasts. Have you seen that? I, don't, I haven't heard many churches that have love feasts, but um, we won't be adopting that name, I don't think. Um, I, but I don't know what your experience of communion is, whether, you know, you're used to going forward and receiving it from a priest um, or whether you're used to getting like a little thimble each person and, and drinking it or whether like me. So my experience growing up was that there was like one cup and it was one loaf. And what happened was everyone passed it around. So it started off here. If you were on the end, you got to start, which was good because, you know, there's no germs. And, you, and, then, and then you're supposed to break a bit off for the next person, which, you know, this, this is the days before, you know, kind of hand sanitizers on the wall and stuff. It, I mean, it was just, it was, it was great because it was a real, um, it was a, you know, the, the, the idea behind it was that we are one body, we're one people, and we're sharing this together. But if you were a visitor, you know, it was a bit weird because you're sitting in the middle of an hour and you've got this thing coming towards you and you're thinking, what do I do? Or, you know, as a teenage boy, if you're sitting next to your friend's mum, I mean, it's weird because part of this whole thing was that you had to hug the person next to you. And it was like, okay, I mean, this is just, you know, for a teenage boy, it's just, this is, you know, this is crisis moment. I've sat in, sometimes you'd come to church and you'd sit down and you'd and it'd start, the worship would start and then you'd look and see, there's communion. And then, oh my goodness, I've made a terrible mistake. So it's too late. <laughs> So I don't know what your experience of uh, communion is. I'm sure we've all had different experiences. Um, so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to get back to what the Bible tells us and see what can we draw from the Bible about communion um, and what does that mean for us as a, as a, as a church family. Um, I, I, 
one of the places we're going to go is 1 Corinthians, because obviously there isn't much actually in, uh, in the Bible about communion, but there's a quite a lot in 1 Corinthians um, about the breaking of bread, because, mainly because they, they got a lot of it wrong. So we thank them because, you know, um, we're going to learn a lot from them, um, from their mistakes. So it's always good to learn from other people's mistakes, isn't it? Okay, so communion then. Where does, well, communion actually starts all the way back in Exodus. The breaking of bread starts in Exodus with the Passover meal. Um, and that's where, that's where we see this, the Lord's Supper instituted. Jesus is celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And the Passover, as you probably know, was this event in Israel's history where they were slaves. They were enslaved to the Egyptians. They had to, um, they had to um, they work under hard labor for the Egyptians, making bricks and building buildings. And um, the Egyptians were uh, oppressing them, killing their children. And God heard their cry for freedom. And he remembered his promises to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. And he said, I'm going to save them. And because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go, you know this story. And we, we, we actually coincidentally watched The Prince of Egypt. That's a great cartoon uh, version of this story uh, yesterday. And because of, uh, you know, so uh, God brought the plagues on Egypt until the point of um, the, the um, until the point where um, God told the people of Israel, OK, an angel of death is coming. And so what you need to do is you need to take a lamb and you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to put that blood on your doorposts. And as the angel passes over the land, if he sees the blood on your doorpost, he'll pass over you and he won't bring death um, and destruction to your family. And so the the people of Israel um, did that. And out of that, um, the the Egyptians had had enough and, and let them go, set them free. And you know the rest of the story, the crossing of the Red Sea, um, etc. And so every year, the um, Israelites, the people of God, would celebrate the Passover to remember what had happened, what God had done for them in the land, in setting them free from uh, slavery, showing that they were chosen, liberating them, saving them. Because not, not only were they liberated, but then they were set free. You know, they, they, God split the Red Sea so they could escape. They were saved um, and, and then eventually brought into the, into the promises, brought into the promised lands. And every year they did that to, re, to remember what God had done for them, um, but also to participate together. So they didn't just remember this, this event. They had a meal together. They had, a, they had lamb. They ate bitter herbs to remind them that the people in Egypt, their people in Egypt, in slavery, suffered. Um, they suffered um, under the harsh yoke of slavery. So they ate bitter herbs to remind them that. And they ate unleavened bread. They ate bread with no yeast in. Because basically that was to remind them that they had to leave in a hurry. When, when Pharaoh said go, they had to get up and go. And they didn't have time for the dough to rise. Um, but also they were proclaiming something as well. When the people of Israel celebrated the Passover, they were, pro- they were procla- proclaiming the coming of the, of the Messiah. The, the, the Messiah that would be the lamb that John says will take away the sin of the world. They probably didn't understand it, actually, uh, at that point. And over, over the course of, of, of the Old Testament, we see this revelation of what it meant for God to provide a Passover lamb for the people. You know, from Abel. So Abel, you know, Abel whose sacrifice was, was, was accepted by God. Abel was a, was a, was a, was a um, raised livestock. He raised, he raised lambs. And Cain's wasn't accepted because he, was, he brought vegetables. I don't know if you, if, you, if you remember that story. 
Um, Abraham and Isaac, you know that story where Abraham, God says to Abraham, take your son up this mountain and sacrifice him to me. And Abraham, you know, must have been distraught, confused, because this is the child that God has given him, the child of the promise. And what does he say to Isaac when Isaac says, Dad, where's the lamb for the sacrifice on the mountain? And, and Abraham says, God will provide a sacrifice. God will provide a lamb. And then we have the Passover lamb, you know, where the people, people trusted that the blood on the lintel, the blood on the doorpost would, would uh, be enough to save them from death and destruction. And then we get to Isaiah, where Isaiah prophesies about, about the servant, you know, the suffering servant, the Messiah to come. And he says, this servant that's to come, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a, a lamb. Uh, like, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. That prophecy of this, of this Messiah who would come, like a, like a Passover lamb who was going to be the sacrifice for us. And, you know, we read that, we look back at that and we read that and we, uh, we understand that that's Jesus. But it must have been amazing to them. Messiah's coming, he's going to, who's going to be like a lamb who takes away our sin. And then, so after all that, then suddenly, after there's a kind of gap, you know, God hasn't spoken for hundreds of years. And then suddenly John the Baptist comes on the scene. He spots Jesus and he says, behold, look over there. Everyone have a look over there. Look at that, that guy, Jesus. He's, the, he's the, the lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. That must have been an amazing event. It must have been mind blowing um, for the people of God at that time. The lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of, of the world. He's arrived. He's arrived. The one we've been waiting for. So then we get to this point where um, Jesus and his disciples are going to celebrate this meal, this Passover meal together. Um, and it's more than this goodbye dinner. You know, Jesus wanted to share it with them before before he suffered. Actually, the disciples are sharing the Passover meal. This is the Passover meal with the lamb, isn't it? This is the lamb. You know, Corinthians 1.5 tells us Jesus is our Passover lamb. That's why none of his bones could be broken. You know, when, when the soldiers came to kill him on the Friday, if he, were, he was already dead, so they didn't have to break his legs. Because on the cross, obviously, you, you, you suffocate as you keep yourself, as you pull yourself up. And they, broke, they used to break the legs so that they couldn't hold themselves up and they would die. The people die, would die more, more quickly. And they came to Jesus and he was already dead, so they didn't uh, break his legs. And John says that was so that, that, that the, the, the promise in Psalm 34 could be, could be fulfilled, that none of his bones would be broken. He is the Passover lamb, because actually when the people of God ate the Passover lamb, the command was, when you eat that Passover lamb, don't break any of its bones. Kind of mirrored, mirrored that um, it was a sign that actually Jesus was our Passover lamb. So it's not just a Passover meal. This is the Passover meal with the Lamb of God. Um, and in that context, Jesus gives us a new symbolic meal. He gives us like a new Passover, doesn't he? he? Gives us a new Passover for the new covenant, the new covenant of his blood that we are in. And if you've got a Bible or an iPad or whatever, turn to Luke 22 with me. It's up on the screen. Um, so Luke, one of the gospel writers, he wasn't a disciple. He wasn't. He wasn't there with Jesus at the time, but he was like a, he was a doctor and he got paid to kind of go and research what 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 um, Jesus said and did. He was like an investigative journalist, um, Dr. Luke. And so and this is what Luke writes about um, that Passover meal with Jesus, that last supper. 
It says, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and um, he said to them, I have greatly, um, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again. Uh, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the, is, uh, is the new covenant in my body, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with, is, is with mine at the table. So the first thing we see, well, we see three, three things here. Three things that kind of mirror the Passover meal. Three things that Jesus tells us to do. The first is to remember. So actually that part of the preach Becky did this morning, I think. And encouraging us to, 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 to come with thanksgiving, to look back over the week and, and, and remember actually what, God, what has God done for us and start in that place of, uh, of remembering. But yeah, so the first is to remember. The second is to participate, to take part. And the third is to proclaim. So Luke 22, verse 19, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So you might think, actually, this is pretty gory, isn't it? You know, bread like a body that's broken. Wine like blood, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit gory uh, in, in, for this day and age. But actually, we need that reminder, don't we? We need that reminder of the reality of the cross, because so often we get familiar with it. You know, Jesus, it's Easter, you know, the Good Friday and Easter Sunday, let's have chocolate eggs. You know, I love chocolate eggs. I'm not knocking chocolate eggs, but it, it can be so easy to get familiar um, with the cross and the realities of Jesus' suffering, that he was he was beaten beyond recognition, that he was spat upon, um, that he was flogged um, with whips, with tiny bits of bone and metal in that tore his back apart, that he, that, he was, that he had a crown put on his head made of thorns that would have dug right into the bone, and then that he was forced to carry his, his crossbeam you know, through the streets while the people jeered, and he was half dead from exhaustion. They had to bring someone else in to help him. And then um, when they finally got up this hill, that they hoisted him up by his hands, you know, nails through his hands and his feet and left him to suffocate, gurgling in his own blood. And that is brutal and it is horrible, but it's the reality of what Jesus did for us. It's the reality of what he went. We remember what he did, that suffering. And as we take the, the cup, we remember him in the garden, don't we, at Gethsemane. You know, when he was there and he was saying, Father, if there's any other way to do this, please, can we find another way? Because he knew the horror about what he was going to go through, the spiritual horror of being separated from his father in heaven for the first time. The spiritual horror of having all of the the sin of the world poured upon him. I I know what it feels like when I've done something I'm really ashamed of or I really regret. Just that 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 just that sense of shame, that sense of dread. That horrible, you know, you just feel so yucky on the inside, so dirty on the inside. And Jesus knew the perfect one who had had committed no sin. He knew that he was about to take the weight of the sin upon himself and experience, you know, what I hate and hate to experience on a on a small individual level. He's going to take that, you know, a billion times, five billion, I don't know how, ten billion times over. And we remember when we take that cup that Jesus said, "Not my will, but yours be done, Father." 
I'll take the cup that you give me to drink. And I'll drink it. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you took that cup. So we remember that. We remember what he did. But actually, Jesus doesn't say, remember, do this in remembrance of what I did. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So actually that, as we remember that, it points us towards who he is, points us towards who he is, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he he's kind, compassionate, that he looked down and had compassion on, us, uh, compassion on us. We were helpless before him to do anything about our situation. And he looked down and he said, I'll go, I'll go and I'll save them. It reminds us of, of that love for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He so loved the world. As we, as we take communion, as we break the bread, as we drink the wine, we can, rem- we can remember God so loved us. It gives us just an insight of that love, that he so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. So it's a reminder of the actual brutality of the cross. Um. And, you know, as we come, as Becky was reminding us this morning, as we come uh, with, uh, into that place of remembrance, then that, that is a place of, of thankfulness. And it's a place where we can then start to praise. We can start to thank him for what he's done. But actually thankfulness, thankfulness is like, it's like, a, it's like, it's like power, isn't it? It's power for our faith. It's power for our faith. It's, it, it, it empowers our prayers because we look back and we say, well, if God's done that, well, surely he can do this. Surely he'll do that. You know, that's what Romans tells us. Romans 8, 32, isn't it? That if, if God didn't spare his own son, how much more will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If God did that, how will he not also? Which is a, a weird way of saying then for sure, certainly, if he did that, he's going to do he's going to give us all things. If he didn't stop at that, if he didn't stop at, at, at sending his own son, giving over his own son for us, how much more then we can we can look with certainty that he will give us all things. So Luke 22. So um, communion begins with uh, remembering. But, but communion is, is more than just remembering. As we said, it's participating. So Luke 22, 15, Jesus says to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. I don't know this morning. Do you know, as we take communion, do you know that Jesus is eager to take the communion with you? Jesus is eager to meet with you here this morning as we do, as we take communion together. Do you know that? It doesn't matter if you know or not. It's true. (laughs) Jesus is eager this morning to meet with you. So. Corinthians 110. Um, so this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. So as I said, the Corinthians, you know, they were making a bit of a mess of, their, of the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. And um, Paul has a, quite a lot to say to them about it. And one of the things that he says in Corinthians 110 verse 14, he says, Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? What does that mean then? What does it mean for us to participate in the body? What does it mean for us to participate 
in the blood. And I guess culturally, some, you know, it, it's, it's quite hard for us to, to kind of find a cultural illustration. It's a bit like poppies. You know, we wear poppies because at one point in the year, we like to look back and remember those who've given their lives for us in the past. But it's more than that. It's not just looking back and remembering that. It's, it's a bit like the nativity, kids doing the nativity at Christmas. So they, they act out a story that, 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 that acts to kind of remind us about the, the truth of what happened. But it's more than that as well. It's almost like a reenactment um, of what happened. So I don't, what, a few years ago, I got on the bus. And um, I don't know, is anyone, here, is anyone here into reenactments? You know, is anyone here dressed up? In, I, thought, I thought Sue was about to put her hand up. She was just getting her glasses. She was just grabbing her glasses. Um, you know, like, you know, get, get dressed up in armour. And one, one, Once I was on, sitting on the bus in Birmingham, and this family got on, and they were, like, dressed in medieval clothes. And um, the dad had a rucksack, though. He had, like, a, a sports rucksack. And they got on the bus, and then the dad went to pay for the family, put his hand in his rucksack, and he pulled out, like, a leather pouch. You know, like from Asterix or something, and took his money out of the leather pouch. I just thought that was brilliant. It's like even paying for the bus. Yeah. But I think he had, I think he had sterling in there, not not um, not groats or something. But yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. But it's not, it's not like a reenactment. It's not like that. It's more than that. It's 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 a bit like the Thanksgiving dinner. You know, in America they, they have Thanksgiving and they have certain elements in the dinner, which is to remind them of the food that the the indigenous people gave them, the turkey and the corn. It's a bit like that, but it's not because it's more than that. It's, it's all of those things, but it's also, it's also spiritual. It's a, there's a spiritual dimension to participating in the Lord's Supper that we actually meet with um, Jesus and we commune with him in that place. We're taking, taking part in something more than, that's a, than just a ritual. It's a place to encounter love and honour Jesus. And actually, it's an act of worship as well. As we take the communion, actually, it's a physical act of worship. You know, feasting in the, in the Old Testament, there's lots of feasting that goes on in the Old Testament. And um, I keep, keep trying to remind the, the, other, the other leaders, you know, there's lots of feasting in the Bible. We should eat more food and have more feasts. That's, you know, not with like Henry VIII, like drumsticks, but, you know, like feasting, <laughs> more food, whatever, Domino's pizza, whatever, whatever the modern equivalent is. But there's lots of feasting. Actually, quite often when God wants to call the people together and he wants them to remember something, he tells them to feast, to party. Um, and it's, so it's a bit like, so, you know, we, at times we fast, don't we? Jesus said when you fast. He didn't say if you fast. Well, there's, there's times when we fast. And I don't know about you, but I find fasting difficult. And, um, but actually, one of the things that's helped me when I fast is to realize that fasting isn't it's not, I'm not trying to deny myself something to prove something to God or deny myself something to try and twist God's arm to do something for me. Actually, when I fast, it's, an express, it's like a physical expression of my hunger. And I say to God, you hear that? You hear that rumble in my tummy, Lord? That's a prayer. I'm hungry, Lord, but I'm more hungry for you. I'm hungry, but that, you know, that little pain you get when your body says it's, it's lunchtime, this is when you normally eat lunch, and you go, no, I'm fasting today. And your body goes, oh, I don't like the sound of that. And you say, Lord, do you hear that, hear that rumble? That's a prayer to you because actually I'm hungry for you. I'm hungry to see you come in this situation. I'm, I'm hungry to see your breakthrough. I'm hungry to see you come and um, uh, break out in our society again and see your spirit come or whatever it is that you're praying for. And it's a bit like that. So we fast, but also we feast. And actually, we, as we eat 
together, as we celebrate the breaking of bread together, it's almost like a physical act of worship. It's like a physical demonstration uh, that together we, you know, Jubilee means, one of the means of Jubilee is party. That's why we, partly why we chose the name. Actually, there's, there's something in us that is, is a physical celebration. It's like a physical prayer, physical act of worship. Um, and we note that actually in, in, in Matthew and Mark, the, the accounts of Matthew and Mark, who were there at the time, they actually tell us that when they, when, after they'd broken bread and, and, and drunk the wine, actually it says they sung a hymn. So there is that element of worship to it. They sang a hymn together at the end before they went out um, to the Mount of Olives. So participation is it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a kind of physical act of worship, a physical act, act of remembrance. Um, it's, a, it's physically encountering Jesus um, at the, at, you know, as we take communion together. But it's also a demonstration that um, Jesus is Lord. Participating means, de- means declaring that Jesus is Lord. So as Paul says in that, in that verse, you know, flee from idolatry. And what he's saying there is actually when you come to the Lord's table, when you come to communion, um, you're coming to Jesus and you're declaring that he is Lord. You can't do that. And then also go and participate in feasts with idols. So in these days, for the Corinthians, you see, it was quite normal for the community to go to a temple and as part of their worship to that idol, to feast together, to, 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 to eat together. And he's saying, no, you can't do both. You can't, you can't have Jesus as Lord, but also go and have um, an idol as a kind of substitute Lord or, or, or a co-Lord. He's saying, no, when you come, you have to come to the, you come to the, the, to the, to the Lord's table and you, um, and you're declaring that actually Jesus is my Lord. And, you know, I'm sure not many of us um, after this meeting are going down to the local temple. There might be some, um, but going down to the local temple to feast you know, and celebrate um, the uh, celebrate another another god, a god you know made of stone or, or wood. Um, but you know, basically, I mean, the, the the principle still applies for us today, doesn't it? Actually, if we come into the communion table, we're saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. I need you're the only one that I need. I have no other savior. I'm trusting you. I'm not trusting Jesus and dot 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 my bank account. I'm not trusting Jesus and you know maybe it's superstition. Or whatever it is, you know, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus, you are my Lord. And that's, what Je- that's what's highlighted in Matthew, actually, in the account of the Passover meal in Matthew. Because um, Jesus at the meal reveals, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples say, surely not me, Lord. Can't be me, Lord. I'd never do that, Lord. And then it gets to Judas, and Matthew records that Judas says, uh, it says that and Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Surely you don't mean me, teacher. Not Lord. Surely you don't mean me, teacher. And what was Jesus' answer to him? You have said so. In other words, you've answered your own question, Judas. I'm not your Lord, am I? I'm just a teacher. I'm not your Lord. So when we come and participate, that is a physical demonstration that Jesus is our Lord. And we also participate in the body. So, um, you know, that's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, that when we break bread, we're participating in the body of Christ. When we come together, we are participating uh, in, in the body. 
in Jesus' body. And, 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 and what is the body? Who is the body? We are the body. So we, when we come together, we're participating in the body of Christ. And that's it. We're, 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 we're participating uh, together. So here's a fire, this, so, um, a fire engine here um, in uh, Northern Ireland. Lan, is that, did I say it right, Trevor? Lan, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember this story from a few, I think it was about a year and a half ago. There was a, there was a couple of guys um, who were up to no good. They started making trouble in the neighbourhood. <laughs> uh, sorry, I couldn't help, I couldn't resist that. There was a couple of guys, they decided to steal a fire engine. Now, the problem is that the guy driving it had never driven a car or any vehicle before. So, um, basically, as he drove down the street, he managed to kind of damage multiple cars, damage, I think it was six houses, and eventually end up driving the um, fire engine into a house. So, and that is just a demonstration, I thought, of actually when... When you've got something that's designed for good, something that's designed for salvation, and it's misused, the damage it can do. And that's what Paul addresses with the Corinthians. He says um, in this verse, 1 Corinthians 11. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. So what were the Corinthians doing? That 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 um, uh, that that kind of um, uh, 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 caused Paul to react in this way. Well, there was lots of disunity, wasn't there, in the Corinthian church? So, if you've read Corinthians, almost from the start, there's divisions, there's kind of party politics, there's sexual immorality, um, there's lawsuits amongst the believers. They're taking each other to court. There's this this, this lo- lot of disloyalty going on, and that spilled over into communion. When they were celebrating the Lord's Supper, you had some people over here that were just getting drunk. They were bringing lots of food. They were getting drunk. And then you had people there who had nothing to eat, who were starving. And Paul says, you're humiliating people. You're not honoring people. You're humiliating people who have nothing. And, you know, again, in our day and age, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't have uh, many people who have nothing to eat at all. Um, there are, you know, there are th- those who are, you know, dependent on things like food banks. But actually, it's a, it's a reminder for us that as we come together to celebrate communion, we, you know, just to check ourselves. It's, as Paul says, um, e- everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You know, they should, you should examine yourself. Actually, is there anything in me that is um, dishonoring other people in the body? Is there anything in me? Is there, you know, is there, is there, is there, is there, is there any division? Is there anything I've done that's, that's, that's dishonored anyone, humiliated anyone? Is there anything I need to put right as I come as part of the body to celebrate communion? Because Paul says that actually the Corinthians were showing contempt for the body. And as a result, the body was weak. There was, there was sickness. There were even people dying, he says, because of the way they were showing contempt at the Lord's Supper. And I think that's, it's almost like, it's almost, it was almost like an autoimmune disease, you know, like the body was, was attacking itself. The body was attacking and destroying itself and they were becoming sick and weak. And church, you know, we, one of our values, is, as Trudy said earlier, is family. And, you know, and that's not just, you know, isn't that, that's a nice modern way to describe, you know, relationships. It's not. Actually, we're family in the sense that we are a body. We are united in Christ. We need each other like a hand needs a foot, um, like, a, like, a, like an ear needs an eye. We need each other. 
and we are one and we, you know, we mustn't attack each other um, and destroy each other. But rather, we want to honour each other. That's another one of our values, honour each other. We don't want it just to be words on the wall. We want to be those that honour each other, love each other, serve each other, lift each other up, encourage one another. Um, and show not contempt for the body, but honour the body of Christ. Um, because after all, it's his body and, we want, and by honouring the body of Christ, we honour him. Amen. Okay, so participating. And then the last thing, proclaiming. Proclaiming. So Luke twenty two sixteen, Jesus says, Jesus said to his disciples at, the, at this Passover meal, he says, um, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So there's a, point, there's a point where this meal together, this bread and wine, will actually find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. There's an age coming when, um, you know, the, 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 the sacrifice that's made, you know, the, the, the ultimate, um, there's going to be the ultimate um, kind of outworking of that, that all the wrongs in the world are going to be righted. That all the sickness is going to be healed. That every tear, Revelation tells us, is going to be wiped away. 1 Corinthians 11 goes on to tell us that. Um, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we, we take communion together, we're making a proclamation that, yes, Jesus died, but he's coming again. He's alive and he's coming again. We're proclaiming our future hope. We're proclaiming the future kingdom. You know, that's often that's described in the in um, Revelation as the wedding banquet. You know, the groom is coming for the bride. He's going to take. We're going to have a wedding banquet. Bank, banquet. You know, Jesus talked a lot about about heaven, about the the age to come, like it's a feast again. That kind of language again, a feast. We're going to have a feast. It's going to be like an, a party with God for all eternity. And you know, Revelation again echoes that um, every tear will be wiped away and we will dwell with God. His dwelling will be amongst us. We'll be with him forever. So when we break bread, it's a foretaste of that wedding banquet. It's a foretaste of that wedding party um, that will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. And that means that when we take it, we should expect kingdom breakout. If it's a declaration of the kingdom that will come, then every time we take communion, we expect the kingdom to break out amongst us, don't we? We expect to see the signs of the kingdom. You know what Jesus told John the Baptist, the signs of the kingdom, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Those are the things we should expect to happen, kingdom signs that happen when we take communion together. So we're proclaiming our future hope in Jesus but we're also, every time we take, the, take bread and wine, we're proclaiming the gospel again, aren't we? We're saying, look what Jesus did. So, you know, if there are those among us who don't know him, that, that haven't met Jesus yet, we're proclaiming to them again. Look at, look at the crucifixion. Look what Jesus did. Look at the punishment that he took for you. Yeah, so, remembering, participating, proclaiming. Those are the, the three elements as you come to... to um, break bread, take communion, celebrate the Eucharist, or oh, I can't remember, Mass, I can't remember, I can't remember the other, the Lord's Supper, whatever, whatever you want to call it, that's cool, we don't mind what you call it. But as we come to do it, um, then uh, let's remember that we're coming to remember, to participate, and to proclaim. So, practically then, how should we break bread together. So as you can see, the Bible isn't very prescriptive. There's not a lot in there about how to, how to do it practically. But there are these, these um, principles that we want to um, 
abide by. And, you know, here no one officiates. So you might have been in a church in the past where you had to go to an ordained priest or someone like that. We don't do that here because we believe that we are a royal priesthood. That's what the Bible teaches. We are a royal priesthood and we're all priests and we're all here to serve one another. So we can serve one another in this. Um, And how often should we do it? Again, it's not clear. But we like to do it as often as is practical um, without becoming over familiar with it and without devaluing it or over ritualizing it. So as, as, as often as is, is practically possible. And at the moment we're doing it, we've, we've said we're going to do it every first Sunday of the month. Um, you know, so we're going to we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, but, but it's almost the communion doesn't stop there, does it? It continues on into the coffee time. So we're going to we're going to celebrate communion and then we're going to have tea and coffee. And it's almost like that's, that makes me really happy because I think it's almost like, you know, it spills over into that time of fellowship. As Paul was talking about um, a few weeks ago, that time of fellowship, that time of being together, enjoying uh, one another's company. So we can do that and then we can go to tea and coffee and we can continue to enjoy being a body together. And, um, uh, and it would be great if Tom's still in the room, actually, to do what the disciples did and sing a hymn, uh, sing a song at least, um, together. And okay, and how should we come? Well, the Bible says actually we should be joyful that it's a feast, that it's a party. We should come. Um, you know, I think the temptation sometimes is to be ultra religious, isn't it? Is to kind of go into kind of religious mode. Actually, it's 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 a feast. It's it's a time to be joyful and to celebrate. Um, although, if I would say if you're having a hard time, that's okay too. It's okay to come because actually, what does Psalm 25 tell us? Tells us it tells us that. Um, it, in, in Psalm 23, the psalmist says, you know, the famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And um, he, so in that psalm, the psalmist says, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Actually, if you're going through a hard time, that's OK. You know, get someone to pray for you. There's a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Yeah. In the midst of all the trouble, in the midst of all the pain, the suffering, whatever's going on in your life, there's a table for you. There's a it's almost like a, a bubble of peace, a bubble of salvation where you can come to his table um, and meet with him in that place. Who should take communion? Well, I, I, that's an easy question, I think, because um, I think we go back to what to that time when, when all the disciples said, not me, Lord, not me, Lord. Judas said, not me, Rabbi. So, you know, if you're here today and you say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's my savior. He's my king. If Jesus is your king, then come and join us and celebrate uh, communion with us. So let's just quickly summarize. Breaking of bread. um, We're devoted to the breaking of bread uh, at Jubilee because it means that we're devoted to remembering what Jesus has done and who he is. We're devoted to worshiping him uh, alone as Lord. That we're devoted to one another and to the unity of the body that we're devoted to proclaiming the gospel to the ends of of the earth until he comes again in his glory. And we're devoted to celebrating um, with him in this place as his kingdom comes. Um, And, you know, until that day when we party with him forever.